system while it's still appropriate. <sighs> I am I am here today with um with a, a lonesome soldier of the old west. It's fair. <laughs> it's fair. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense when the first response out of him is that's fair. That's fair. I have been doing that. <laughs> Old soldier. Old soldier is a good way to look at it. Scutch McGee, everyone. He's been he's been away for a little while, but uh, presence felt nonetheless. I think uh, what we were talking about earlier was your your role on this show. You had asked a question: Am I still the dad that that like? Am I still the dad that's uh, afraid to get murdered by his kids? That's that true. was like the question you asked. Am I still the dad that's afraid of everything? I think yeah, is what you initially I, said. I would say that like, what's my what's my role on this show? <laughs> I feel like I I've I've probably grown a little bit as my kids have gotten older, so maybe I'm not as scared for them because I can still I can still beat their asses. <laughs> <laughs> I'll beat up a little kid if I have. I um I made a, I made a song. Uh, I, I, t- I took lyrics to a song and I changed it for you, but people are going to have to wait until the second episode <laughs> because I, I I promised I would sing it only before your kid-related stories because I want to get into that more. This is this this episode is going to be a bit of a departure for us. This is going to be different than what we usually do on the show because what we usually do on the show is is like rub the prostate of that concept. It is. I have, it's, I, it, I have my own niche. I read into niche. what you're afraid of Yeah. more than like anyone on the show. Like, yeah. let me tell you, like there are people that tell me they're afraid of certain things and then I make them read stories based off of it. Yeah. And then they regret telling me that they've told me this and we don't read stories like that ever again. With you, it's like you told me yeah. and I found stories related to it and it's the only it's thing we've read do. stories about. <laughs> yeah, so like, Conceptually, yeah. conceptually, the the first the story that we're reading today isn't far away t- too much from the scope of fear of what you what you have experienced on other episodes. What what we experienced on other episodes uh, more recent than not um, of your like like I want to say like ten or so episodes that exist out there. Um, one of them is not just the fear of children, but the mm-hmm. fear for children. children. Yes, 100%. And um, this episode feeds into that a little bit because conceptually we're seeing, I believe it's adolescence, you know, teens, pre-adults. It is. Getting, into, bit, yeah. getting into a situation completely out of their control. Yeah. And the horrors that devolve from that concept forward. It's not the same as like, and just getting into it because people who have seen the title already know that we're reading Stephen King today. Just immediately getting onto that fucking footnote. Um, the th- you know, 
when we think about the thing that makes it scary is the fact that it's kids in these terrifying situations. It's not the clown. It's not what the clown turns into. It's that kids are being killed and kids are at risk of being killed. And more, the kids put themselves in these situations. They they hunt the danger. Yeah. They, they physically put themselves into danger so many times for the sake of the party. And, you know... Um, as like a D&D concept. Like they, they stick together as like a guild, but individually they each have their own little moment of danger. And this isn't like that. This is like hindsight danger. This is the like, I really shouldn't have gone there today yeah. type of danger. Like this is the wrong place, wrong time. Could happen to anyone type of danger not the type of supernatural suspenseful you know crazy cosmic you know existential style of dread this is like man i'm just gonna die <laughs> like 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 looking at a situation and being like i am fucked so i think what makes stephen king stephen king is he he writes about kids probably more than any other it makes, writer, think, like, it makes you think. By far, it makes you think. He really focuses how on... many times kids are in even his longest yeah. of, of series. Yeah, like I mean, there's a, a kid is a main character of the Dark Tower series. Yeah. A fucking thirteen year old. Yeah, you know. And it's he does a really good job of depicting the fear of a kid versus the fear of an adult. Now, like the fear of an adult is we have a pretty good understanding of the world and things like that. So we're not as afraid of much. Like our, our our fears change, and it becomes more, you know, on a personal level. As you get into adult, you become more uh, worried about things like wealth and home. Like your your fears change, but when as you're as a kid, you're still at your most. Your fears are very surface level. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want the people around me to be hurt. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that shit looks dangerous and or spooky. Yeah, I'm. I am shitting my pants there's there's a big difference in the supernatural of a kid's imagination versus an adult's imagination the scope so, of believability exactly 100 percent. exactly so you, you're still at that point where you still believe that there is there is weird um different kind of terrors out there you're still worried about that there's you know movie monsters that there's other things that you transcribe in your mind to become something different than they are the fear that we have of clowns becoming you know teethy monsters that eat little children right. and things like that. You still have that thought process in your head where you can look back at things and be like... Like, I can ask yeah. you. I can sit here and ask you. I could go, Scutch McGee, what are you more afraid of? Mm -hmm. A clown in a sewer trying to get your firstborn yeah. to come over because he has a nice toy or the fact that your second born has run out into the street and doesn't know a car is it, coming. It, and right it's 100% the, the second one. Right. And it's more to right. me that I'm worried about more right. of the kids playing near a sewer and I than think I'm worried about this, I think the raft, I yeah. think the story we're going to read today is more like part two. It's more like, Isn't yes, that? this series is weird. Yeah. Like, yes, the series of event that happens is unweird and unmistakable, but it is still a... We are on a railroad track and there's a train coming toward us yeah. very slowly. 
but it is going to hit us at some point. Like yeah. that's how this story feels, at least at least based off of um Creep Show. Okay. I love Creep Show. One of the big reasons we're reading this story is because of my love for Creep Show. I've talked about Creep Show on this program many times. Yeah. Um, what George Romero and Stephen King were able to do with Creep Show was an amazing thing that 100%. rarely happens. Yep. Like, people love Trick or Treat. I love Trick or Treat. It doesn't hold a fucking candle to yep. Creep Show. You could put on. I play both of the Creep Shows on my projector during mm-hmm. Halloween parties because people have, like, never seen them and always go crazy about yep. how good they are because they are timeless. They are morality tales they are. spun to be yep. fucked up. Yeah. It's Aesop's Fables for Adults yeah. because it is telling you the very adult problems in life with the face value of a little kid reading a comic book. Okay. And the stories that are presented are understandable yeah. and and adult. They're just adult in nature. And I don't mean sexually. I mean fear-wise. Like... There aren't, I don't even think there are even kids in any of the stories until the raft. So it's like, anyway, my, uh, one of my favorite gifts I've ever received actually from my girlfriend, she got me a French, a literal canvas that was painted okay. for a theater in France okay. of the first creep show movie, no a shit. fucking letterbox painting fucking signed. Of the first creep show movie. I haven't even hung it up yet because I've I've just sat it in this little fucking container. I was like, I don't want people to get to this. So is a beautiful fucking thing. (laughs) Creep Creep Show in itself is so Creep Show or Creep Show is inspired by things that are much older than Creep Show. They're inspired by the original like Tales of the Crypt series that was being read. They're inspired by Twilight Zone, obviously. Like they're they're inspired by People the EC are, comics. Exactly. The it, EC comics hold a candle to what the movies 100%. are trying to yeah. do. They're, they're pulpy. Yeah. But, you know, the comics were more like Attack of the in, Invading Green Aliens. Yeah. Like, they were ridiculous. Um, I don't think Creepshow is ridiculous. I it's think not. Creepshow is hilarious. I think Creepshow is... Just as funny as it is scary, um, but it puts you. It, it still is very much an adult uh, yes. based process. Um, I I first saw Creep Show when I was less than ten years old. Um, my dad just played it on like a Halloween mm-hmm. night when I was like eight, maybe, and um, I I just thought it was great. I just had fun with it because I read I read fucking like we finished reading them on the show recently but like Alvin Schwartz's like scary stories to tell Mm -hmm. in the dark like I read that shit nonstop as like a first grader and um uh we also just started reading Goosebumps on the show we read uh Night of the Living Dummy and uh here are both evolutions of childhood to adulthood in fiction uh when it comes to spooky shit yeah and here I am at the same age of scary stories to tell in the dark watching Creep Show, which is just five intermittent short stories with terrifying consequences. <laughs> and and the beauty of the first one isn't necessarily replicated in the second one, but I still love the second one for what it does because I think the second one commits more. Yeah. 
The second one is only like three stories split over the same period of time. It doesn't hop as much. It doesn't have the short story nature as much. But I think the investment to character is doubled down. So when I will, I will say, and, and this is like in a court of law, like I will swear this up and down. The Raft is my favorite sequence of all of them. I agree with that. There is yeah. something about this sequence yeah. that haunted me as a fucking kid. Yeah. And it's because I I was very comfortable swimming as a kid. I loved to swim. I was certified scuba diver when I was still 12. Like, I love the ocean. I love... I was always the type of kid to go out to the boonies and jump into the lake and shit. And this struck just like a fucking fear of me, like fear of God that I'd run out into a bog one night and there would be something I don't know that just fucking ate me. Yeah. Only now as an adult do, is, do I realize that that's an alligator. But as a kid, yeah. it's a creepy tar spat yeah. that just floats yeah. on top of the water, just silently and deadly. Yeah. When I saw that, that hot chick get her face melted... And that jock, or no, the other hot chick, turns into a fucking skeleton yeah. just from falling into this thing. It's the same type of fears that the Blob 88 remake had. Okay. And the Blob 88 did something very similar with, with I think, I think they owe their success a little bit to this sequence. Because the effects in that movie are fucking gnarly. Have yeah. you seen that one? The second Blob movie. The, the Blob remake that the Blob happened remake. in the yeah. 80s. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, when I went to Mahoning one weekend, this was last year as well, they did the Blob 55 into the Blob 88, and it was fucking great. <laughs> it was fucking it's great. It's a huge man. difference. And it's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. There are these people staring at a diner with slime on it for two hours, talking about <laughs> fire extinguishers, you know, like, yeah. and then you get 88 and people's faces are being melted yeah. off and kids are being eaten and killed so it's, yeah. oh, it's, it's wild it's, it's great yeah. but those same fears happen in the raft which i think predates it by at least a couple years so you know as a kid watching this i didn't watch blob 88 until i was probably 14 or something i was much older i just didn't realize i i, I got into horror movies way late even though my dad tried to ingrain it in me i was a comic book reader i was a i was a nerd before i was a horror nerd you know yeah so it took me it took me a while like Star Wars had my heart as a kid so and then Harry Potter did so it's like with those two fandoms fucking me and then Lord of the Rings putting it in my mouth I like I had to like hold off for a second but into my adulthood I got really into fucking horror and one of the big ones that came back to me was Creepshow like I now have it I have it downloaded on my hard drive it's the type of thing I could put on at any time if anyone says they've never seen it it's like one of the first things I show them because it's just like do you just want to be entertained for an hour and a half do you just want to like laugh and go what the fuck for like an hour and a half it's the same thing I would say if I were to put on like Hellraiser, you know. Yeah. Like, do you just want to? Do you just want to be told like a moral based story about how not to be a piece of yeah. shit? It's really <laughs> what it is. It really is. It's really Don't what be it a is. piece of shit. Yeah. And you will survive. And yeah. and I love that with the raft because the raft is like, oh, the one girl, the one girl's just playing with it in the water and dies because of her naivety. Yeah. 
then the one guy thinks he can outrace it and gets eaten in the process because he fucks up. And then the chick <laughs> dies from going to sleep and just being yeah. stupid. But then the other kid, the kid, the last kid, dies from his hubris. It's true. He should have just walked away. He should have yeah. just kept going. Why stop? Yeah. You got out of the water, keep running. But instead, right at the fucking finish line, he turns around and he says, I fucking beat you. You oh. piece of shit. I beat you. And what does the fucking slime do? But reach out of the fucking water <laughs> and grab him. It does. <laughs> it, it is, is the greatest twist. Yeah. It is the greatest twist because you are at the finish line and you are saying, kid, fucking run. Yeah. Fucking run. No one, in their, no one in their right mind would do this. They would run as hard as they can. They would get out of there as fast as they can. This kid, because he's a kid, because he's stupid, he turns around and he goes, I beat you. And he gets fucking eaten. <laughs> that stayed with me so much as a kid. I would almost think about that sequence when I would come paddling in at like a lake. I would yeah. be like, I need to nail this and I need to keep moving. <laughs> like, like if a gator is behind me, I yeah. can't just stop at the shoreline. I need to keep running. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it, it's wild how you make like fears for yourself as a kid. Like, it, it really it's is. Amazing. Like, it, it is. And it's, it's, amazing it's such thing. a weird imagination. Of, it's, it's, it's the smallest thing. It's like you could turn smallest on. Smallest fear. It's the, the smallest, smallest fear. fear. It, it's, it's legit it's turning amplified. on the lights up and walking up the last two steps when you go upstairs. Like it, it, you when made your you, mind like all of a sudden randomly when something When you turn is, the lights on at night to go down and get a snack yeah. and you kind of turn the lights out and run back up to your yeah. bedroom as fast as you can because you think there's someone yeah. behind you. 100%. <laughs> like 100%. It, I was it, doing it, that shit even when I was like 22. <laughs> yeah. I don't do it as much anymore, yeah. but like that, that type of anxiety has lived with me forever. So it's like I, I've always just been a very nervous kid. I'm the type of kid who grew up watching where I was stepping. Yeah always looking down because I needed to be prepared for what was literally in front of me before I even looked down the street. Yep. I was the type of kid who ran looking down. Like I just, oh, I, I just, crazy things. I was, I was so anxious yep. about my human experience. Random, like uh random street lights that you would see that would shine just like a little bit of light over a certain situation <laughs> that you had to walk through. Right. And then you just, cast a shadow on everything else around you it's almost scary to walk through the light the shadows around than it is to literally just walk in like pitch darkness it really is like it no it absolutely is yeah. it's because everyone can see you and you can't 100%. see everyone <laughs> exactly so like it, it's 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 the smallest fears that you make when you're a little kid it, it's legit like any situation that you walk to as a little kid you almost think of what's the Worst wildest situation that could possibly arise from <laughs> that could right? happen from this choice right now. Like I'm from making, right now. I'm at a fork in the road. Yeah. And I'm trying to rationalize left or right. Yeah. I'm gonna think of someone coming out of nowhere and murdering me if I go in one of these directions. Hundred percent. And, and as an adult, you don't and think it's only gonna be informed by yeah. the context of how I think about yeah. these two. two it really streets. is. And as an adult, you don't yeah. think about that. You look at any no, situation you just and you're walk. like, yeah, you're you just, just like, I don't care. It makes sense. Right. But as a kid, you're like, my you're house is closest this everything. way, so I'm gonna go this way. Exactly. Yeah, everything is. Everything is like, as a little kid, everything is is so built up <laughs> and it's such a big absolute decision that's going to affect like the rest of your life right so it's, it's uh, <laughs> let's call it like, in the most terrifying it the magnifying way right? scope experience yeah. it really because, is because they everything is just huge yeah it's the smallest thing but it's huge yeah 
100%. I'm looking at an ant, but it's huge. It is. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, um, crossing the street is huge. Cars are huge. You know, you, you hear these very tiny fears and they turn into very big fears. All just off of a feeling. Yep. Just all off of a feeling. No rationality behind it. I, I, you know, I was talking about being scared of fucking black goo and lakes and shit. But as a kid, I was most afraid of, like, spiders. Do you know how many bad experiences I've had with spiders in, like, my entire life? Maybe, like, two. Yeah. Why am I so afraid of spiders? 100%. Or why was I so afraid of spiders? Because I would even argue that I'm not really afraid of them now. Yeah. Um, but it's that type of illogical that a child is, that a teenager is. Because when you're a teenager, you also think you're fucking invincible. 100%. That's the other crazy thing. It is. is so you that, actually choose. Is that the anxiety yeah. turns back around and it yeah. says, well, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> to it the really same, is. To the same yeah. fear. And that's where I think the raft hits home a little, a little bit, bit. Because it's it's the, the hubris the, that I mentioned, the Greek poetry of at least the film version is is felt at the end of it. Where I think, um, can I admit something? I never read this short story. No? No. We're going to have fun. I think it's going to be different. Yeah. And I think I've heard that it's different. Okay. I've never read it. I've, I, I don't know what happened because there was a point in time where I thought I had read everything Stephen King has ever written mm-hmm. when we were working together. Because I just had so much time to listen to shit. You weren't even so, listening to Like that was the first time like... You actually listened to Stephen King when we were working together. A hundred percent, because like, as yeah. a teen, I was reading it. Yeah, hundred percent. As a teen, I read uh, The Stand, and I didn't get it. Yeah. I just didn't get it. I didn't yeah. care. I don't have faith. So, yeah. like, it's a weird story for someone who 100%. doesn't believe in God yeah. or anything for, for them to read. But then I read, like, The Mist, and I read It, and I read The Shining. Okay. Holy shit, is The Shining, like, my favorite. Yeah. But I... I missed his short story shit. Okay. Somewhere along the way. And someone told me to read Jaunt in like the last like 10 years. And I picked it up and and I read it on the podcast because I wanted to catch my genuine reaction. And I was like, this is one of the best short stories I've ever read. And for me to say that, I don't know if everyone knows. I don't know if they've even talked about it, but I never read that story before. I just knew it was great. And I was so excited and it absolutely paid off. So I'm I'm trying to have the opposite expectations for the raft because I think okay. I think what we're going to get is going to be it's going to be more adult. It's going to be more existential. It's going to be more yeah. dreadful. I don't think even the same characters exist. I don't yeah. think I don't think it's the same ratio of character. I don't think it's the same context. I think it's going to be a little bit different. Um have you read this before? The Raft? Yes. I have. Is it like Creepshow? In in some ways. In some in ways some it is. Ways. Yeah, in some ways it is. It, it is a story. All That's the, the best you can say about yeah. a lot of Stephen. Yeah. So like all of, all of his short stories are it, honestly, his short stories are easily more adaptable to like that you see in like modern cinema and stuff like that. Adapted, yeah, exactly, sure. his, his short stories are. His long stuff is too long. It is. It is. It's just too hard. It's too much detail they had to get into. Yeah. On a lot of his movies, that especially things like 
like even like the like the first Dark Tower movie, even going to things like it, it came broken down. Like you still, you're still not even touching any of no. the book whatsoever. No, like it's a four hour movie that you had to make, and it's it's a whole different experience. And a lot of his a lot of his books are like that. Even you're just not getting the best in my mind is still the mist, and the mist is yeah. based on the short story, right? Hundred yeah, percent. That's not even a full. It's not novel. even a full story. It's not even a no. full. Novel. So he did like he does short stories, he does like novellas and things like that, but. He's just his long stuff is it's just too much. There's just too much detail. He, he writes in the same way that he is the horror version of like Martin writing like yeah. science fiction. You can yeah. you can really say that to him because it's just everything winded. is so descriptive. Winded, so descriptive and winded. Everything like at the end of the day, there's yeah. too much being put into shit that doesn't matter. Exactly, and and it's all for the sake of context. And context only matters if the story. Is, is taking itself seriously. Yeah. And I think a lot of the problem with Martin is that, like, we want to know what's happening in the story. So 100%. stop, stop fucking talking about this. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm restraining my expectations because I think this is going to be one of those cases where they take the idea of a Stephen King story and adapt it their own way. Yeah. And that's what we got in creep show. Um, I, I know that it still has the same plot. I don't think it has the same character. Okay. I don't think it's going to tell the same story with the same people, I guess is what I'm what I'm trying to say. But, um, man, I don't... The jaunt... The reason I'm going to talk about the jaunt so much in comparison to this, like even as we're reading, is because that was the first time I had read a Stephen King short story in like a long time. And that just felt great. Okay. Like, when you read as much creepypasta as I yeah. have on this show, and when you've read as much Reddit No Sleep and other other sources and just other shit on this show, it all kind of bleeds together at the end of the day. Like, I'm on episode 230-something with you right now, and we started, you and I started in, like, the 60s. So, like, we've come, <laughs> a, fucking, we've come a fucking long yeah. way over these years. And this is going to feel different reading this. Yeah than reading the usual shit we read. Oh, 100%. We are holding ourselves to the pedigree of the king. Yeah. And I mean, this is how we started. This is how you and I got to know each other was based off of... A hundred percent. I don't know. I don't even know how that happened, yeah. man. We were just working the same shift yeah. on receiving one day. Yeah. And I just... I don't know. Did I ask you about something? Just talking about stuff in general. Talking about general... We talked about comic books. Yeah, we talked about lots of stuff. Comic books, horror movies... It start dibbling into like hard books. Because let me tell you, there were only so many people I turned off my headphones to share yeah. a shift with. Yeah. You were you were one of them. Yeah. Uh, Space Cowboy was one of them. Yeah. And so was Gnarly Charlie. Gnarly and, Charlie. And there weren't many other people I shared shifts with where I kept my I kept my headphones off the yeah. entire time. That's because we would have these types of conversations yeah. while we were physically working. Yeah. And whether it was taping a box or throwing something into a box. We were having these conversations. Um, how do you feel about reading Stephen King? It's different for me. For like, it's just it, there's a lot more build up to reading something by Stephen King. I would say like there's there's more. Is it because of his infamy? Probably. Yeah. You just don't want to do anything wrong. Like you have when you read like something like Stephen like I'm still gonna be critical. If as you hell. read something like I'm a Stephen King, like you. As you fuck. Have, <laughs> Especially if you read the story, like you almost you almost build up. He does a great job of building a different character in every person's head, of what something kind of yeah. like he describes it very well. But 
the Each same time. Each person is informed differently. Exactly. And I, th- I feel like with Stephen King that you're just, every, every character that you're, so if you're reading it, you're trying to match a different character that you have in your head for everything. If you were an I to read something like it. I think that's why his adaptations suck so much. Yeah. It's like you can cast Harry Potter any day. You can cast Lord of the Rings any day. They go so far as describing their people to like literal hair color. Yeah. Stephen King doesn't do that. He doesn't do that at all. Because he wants you to to be in the pilots. And and when you develop, I I feel like when you develop what makes him so well, like so well written is that when you develop a character in your head, you start to feel the emotional attachment to something that you built in your head rather than something that's so descriptive exactly so you've given it its own its own life its own person like that's 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 the character that you build up for that character in your head and we have something that like we have such like harry potter where everything is detailed to down to like hooks in their nose and things like that like yeah it's kind of obnoxious when you really get to it it is just that's so that's what that is like that's you know what it is in your head you can picture every single imperfection in somebody because it's written that way but with Stephen, Stephen King, King wants you to feel it. it's so broad it's so broad like everything there's a general realization like you know you might know like nationalities and rationalities of things like that like yeah of characters but yeah he'll he'll give a skin tone every yeah once he in will while. and he'll, he'll describe yeah. someone's body shape every once yeah. in a while but but you know the I think it's age yeah age is what he describes the most it does and he kind of says he says old man, he says withered, yeah. he says, you know, yeah. frail, he says young, he says sprightly, you know, he, yeah. you know, he's very, he's very age appropriate. And I think that's what comes over is, is you, you get all these preconceived notions about everything else you are not. Yeah. But then when it's, when it's your turn and when he focuses on an age you are related to or have relation to, you feel much more. In his work, you take it more personally. You, do. you read into it a little bit more. Yeah. I I read it for the first time when I was probably sixteen. It it wasn't scary to me anymore. Yeah. I'm neither a parent nor a young kid. I didn't yeah. find much of it very scary. Yeah. I read The Shining and I said, "Holy shit!" Because yeah. I believe in weird places. I believe that my dad could go fucking nuts any day yeah. and fucking axe me. I, I I have a fear of being trapped somewhere. Yeah. A fear of the an irrational fear of the weather. I am impervious when I drive a vehicle through any sort of weather, yeah. but if I'm in a house during any sort of weather, I lose my shit. Because I don't want to be stuck somewhere. Yeah. So great leeway into this fucking story. Yeah. Because these assholes get fucking stuck on a goddamn raft in the middle of a lake. I I used to go out to the boonies to do this shit. I used to go up into the Pocono Mountains. I I used to spend summers on Wall and Paul Peck. Like, this concept is so fucking personal to me. And I I hate it. It's going to make me so uncomfortable. Unless these characters are unrelatable. Which sometimes, when Stephen King is a little too... Broad, coked up. Yeah, <laughs> he it's gets great, a little. Yeah. He gets a little fanciful. Yeah. Um. How do you feel about reading? Do you feel okay on reading? You feel okay on reading? I'm high. <laughs> pretty high. I'm not drunk anymore, but I yeah. am high. Pretty high. Right but I brought over right. some. I, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while since I smoked flour. I haven't smoked probably flour in a while. Because you said you're a pen guy. I probably smoked flour in like five years. 
You smoked. Okay, that's an exaggeration. Because one of the some some of the one times I've been over here in the last four, I, I used to roll joints. I don't know if you ever smoked them. I thought I always just drank during all these. I remember. Uh, you might be right. You might not have smoked it with me. <laughs> I might have smoked it by myself. I might have smoked it by myself. You're right. There was definitely one time I came over and you were like stone cold sober. Yeah. And I was like. <laughs> I'm going to smoke outside because I don't want to make him uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, but that drink is strong. All right. So I'm going to take this off from the top. All right. Because I want to get into it. I want to okay. see how different this is. And I want to be aware of it. And I want to experience it. Okay. We're reading fucking Stephen King's sketch. Are you excited? I am. I don't want to because we're not reading yet. shit for once. Yes, I want to. Well, it's not. Are you ever disappointed by what we read? No, I, I wouldn't say I'm disappointed. It's just I am. It, it, it's just different. There are some right. episodes that are much better than others. I'm not. I'm not afraid to say that. <laughs> some people might be offended. Most of your episodes are very like middle of the lane. Yeah. Very like, uh, they're very personable. They're very short. They're very quippy. They're very quick and funny. Um, I think this is one of the first times we're we're reading a long narrative. Sure. And I think um, there's a lot more invested in this because we're reading someone we enjoy so much. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. I would say it's I would say it's because he's a special kind of writer. So there's he not, doesn't write quite when you're like well you read, <laughs> no he does like fiction nonfiction you can probably point like especially with like nonfiction you can point out probably I mean there's there's legit hundreds of like great writers that do like nonfiction. <laughs> Right. You can literally say, like, you know, you can probably point to, you know, different stories I've written that have everyone from, like, Jane Austen. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can yeah. just keep going from that. And then you have, there's just not as many good horror writers. There's not as many legendary horror writers as there is any, probably any written genre. Yeah, people have, people yeah. have favorite poets. People don't have favorite horror writers. No. So that's we, not a conversation quota, you yeah. know, like something isn't being met there and that's okay because horror will, will always be niche. Yeah. Um, Stephen King knew what he was doing. He knew it was pulp. Mm. I would say more often than not, Stephen King is pulp, yeah. which is what makes something like Creepshow so beautiful because it's, it's his nature. It's his, yeah, he it's wants his basic to take, nature. He wants to take something real, something identifiable and juxtapose it. And that's so easy for him because just take that concept. That's that's Christine. That's Carrie. That's Cujo. You know, he takes something you understand so well and just fucks it up. Dogs, cars, girls. <laughs> it just... It's so easy. It's so easy. I feel like all these so stories are, are like all this, like the small moments we talked about when we were like a kid. Even, even to like a teenager and like... I feel like all his short stories are based off of those small moments that he had that yeah. he remembers uh -huh. rather than some of the little stuff that he's what had to build it? up. What was it Wes Craven like said? Wes Craven said he specifically named Freddy Krueger Freddy Krueger because it's the name of the person who bullied him when he was a kid. Yeah. yeah. Shit sticks with you, man. It does. You and can't I, say it don't. I feel like that's all his short stories are. Like That's what Stephen King's short stories like are. Things that are built off of his weird small experiences oh, man. that he had. Like his He's such a weird he guy. He really is. He's such a weird guy. I I promise you, 
he's been bullied. Yeah. And he's been made fun of and he has experienced... I'm not going to say trauma. I'm just going to say funny moments growing up. I'm sure he's experienced a lot of them. And I'm sure they've left the impressions they have. But if I was his parent... I'd be taking it personally because something like The Shining or The Stand or It must make a parent feel like shit. (laughs) What what did I do that you talk about like a little girl and all that stuff? Like, yeah, it's, yeah. Especially the stuff that's like written as kids and you're like, holy shit. (laughs) It really is. It's wild like that. Like his, his, his idea of childhood is so deranged compared to some of the other stuff that you like even yeah, like you experience like it's it's just a different tone to everything everything that he experienced as a child is a different tone it's it's unbelievable though you know at yeah. the same time that it's relatable it's just it's just as unbelievable yeah. and 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 that's what i think um something like this something like this story is going to be a good example of what stephen king is good at i just hope uh i just hope i like it <laughs> Yeah, it's good like it. I just hope I just hope it's good. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start this off. We're reading Stephen King's The Raft. It was 40 miles from Horlick University in Pittsburgh. Yo, shout out to Cascade Lake. And although dark comes early to that part of the world in October, and although they didn't get going until six o'clock, there was still a little light in the sky when they got there. It was kind of like me coming over here today. It was raining, so I, like, got really anxious at first. I was like, I don't want to drive in a fucking storm. And then I got over it. I'm glad you made it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, the name of this collection is The Skeleton Crew. Yep. Never read that. Never read Skeleton Crew? Never read Skeleton Crew. I, it's okay. I accept the judgment that, no, you, are, there's no that judgment. you are giving me. <laughs> no, no judgment at all. It's just, I just, I'm I just, telling I just you, I missed, short stories. I'm telling you, I missed his short story yeah. work. I don't think I've read any of his short stories, yeah. which is a fucking shame. Anyway. They had come in Deke's Camaro. Deke didn't waste any time when he was sober. After a couple of beers, he made that Camaro walk and talk. Hell yeah. He had hardly brought the car to a stop at the pole fence between the parking lot and the beach before he was out and pulling off his shirt. His eyes were scanning the water for the raft. Randy got out of the shotgun seat a little reluctantly. This had been his idea, true enough, but he had never expected Deke to take it seriously. The girls were moving around in the back seat getting ready to get out. I actually think one of the characters' name is Randy. This might actually be the plot. This might be the same characters. If it's two guys, two girls, then it's at least pretty close. Deke's eyes scanned the water restlessly. Side to side, sniper's eyes, Randy thought uncomfortably, and then fixed on a point. It's there, he shouted, slapping the hood of the Camaro. Just like you said, Randy. Hot damn. Last one's in a (laughs) rock. Last one? Last one in's a rotten egg. I couldn't read that for some reason. (laughs) Deke, Randy began, resetting his glasses on his nose. What a fucking nerd. But that was all he bothered with because Deke was vaulting the fence and running down the beach, not looking back at Randy or Rachel or Laverne, only looking out at the raft, which was anchored about 50 yards out on the lake. 
Randy looked around as if to apologize to the girls for getting them into this, but they were looking at Deke, Rachel looking at him. It was all right, Rachel was Deke's girl, but Laverne was looking at him too, and Randy felt a hot momentary spark of jealousy that got him moving. He peeled off his own sweatshirt, dropped it beside Deke's, and hopped the fence. Randy, Laverne called, and he only pulled his arm forward through the gray twilight October air in a come-on gesture, hating himself a little for doing it. She was unsure now, perhaps ready to cry it off. The idea of an October swim in the deserted lake wasn't just part of a comfortable, well-lighted bowl session in the apartment he and Deke shared anymore. He liked her, but Deke was stronger, and damned if she didn't have the hots for Deke, and damned if it wasn't irritating. <laughs> Deke unbuckled his jeans, still running, and pushed them off his lean hips. He somehow got out of them all the way without stopping, a feat Randy could not have duplicated in a thousand years. Deke ran on, now only wearing bikini briefs and muscled in his back and buttocks working gorgeously. Randy was more than aware of his own skinny shanks as he dropped his Levi's and clumsily shook them free of his feet. With Deke, it was a ballet. With him, burlesque. Deke hit the water and bellowed, Cold mother of Jesus! Randy hesitated, but only in his mind where things took longer. That water's 45 degrees, 50 at most, his mind told him. Your heart could stop. He was pre-med. He knew that that was true, but in the physical world, he didn't hesitate at all. He leaped it, and for a moment, his heart did stop, or seemed to. His breath clogged in his throat, and he had the force of a gasp of air into his lungs as all submerged skin went numb. This is crazy, he thought. And then, but it was your idea, Poncho, he began to stroke after Deke. The two girls looked at each other for a moment. Laverne shrugged and grinned. If they can, we can, she said, stripping off her Lacoste shirt to re reveal an almost transparent bra. Aren't girls supposed to have an extra layer of fat? Then she was over the fence and running for the water, unbuttoning her cords. After a moment, Rachel followed her, much as Randy had followed Deke. The girls had come over to the apartment at mid-afternoon on Tuesdays at a one o'clock was the latest class any of them had. Deke's monthly allotment had come in. One of the football mad alums, the players called them angels, saw that he got 200 a month in cash and there was a case of beer in the fridge and a new Night Ranger album on Randy's battered stereo. The four of them set about getting pleasantly oiled. After a while, the talk had turned to the end of a long Indian summer they had been enjoying. The radio was predicting flurries for Wednesday. Laverne had advanced the opinion that weathermen predicting snow flurries in October should be shot, and no one had disagreed. Rachel said that summers had seemed to last forever when she was a girl, but now that she was an adult, a doddering senile 19, Deke joked as she kicked his ankle. They got shorter every year. It seemed like I'd spent my life out at Cascade Lake, she said, crossing the decayed kitchen linoleum to the icebox. She peered in, found an Iron City light hiding behind a stack of blue Tupperware storage boxes. The one in the middle contained some nearly prehistoric chili, which was now thickly festooned with mold. Randy was a good student, 
and Deke was a good football player, but neither of them was <laughs> worth a fart in a noisemaker when it came to housekeeping. Stephen King makes the stupidest fucking analogies sometimes. And appropriated it. I can still remember the first time I managed to swim all the way out to the raft. I stayed there for the damn near two hours, scared to swim back. She sat down next to Deke, who put an arm around her. She smiled, remembering, and Randy suddenly thought she looked like someone famous or semi-famous. He couldn't quite place the resemblance. It would come to him later under less pleasant circumstances. Finally, my brother had to swim out and tow me back out on an inner tube. God, he was mad. And I had a sunburn like he wouldn't believe. The raft's still out there, Randy said, mostly to say something. He was aware that Laverne had been looking at Deke again. Just lately, it seemed like she looked at Deke a lot. But now she looked at him. It's almost Halloween, Randy. Cascade Beach has been closed since Labor Day. Raft's probably still out there, though, Randy said. We were on the other side of the lake on a geology field trip, fucking nerd, about three weeks ago, and I saw it then. It looked like, he shrugged, a little bit of summer that somebody forgot to clean up and put away in the closet until next year. He thought they would laugh at that, but no one did. Not even Deke, you fucking nerd. <laughs> Just because it was there last year doesn't mean it's still there, Laverne said. I mentioned it to a guy, Randy said, finishing his own beer. Billy Deloy, do you remember him, Deke? Deke nodded. Played second string until he got hurt. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, he comes from out that way, and he said the guys who own the beach never take it in until the lake's almost ready to freeze. Just lazy, at least that's what he said. He said that some year they'd wait too long and it would get ice-locked. He fell silent remembering how the raft had looked anchored out there on the lake, a square of bright white wood in all that bright blue autumn water. He remembered how the sound of the barrels under it, that buoyant clunk-clunk sound, had drifted up to them. The sound was soft, but sounds carry well in the still air around the lake. There had been that sound and the sound of crows squabbling over the remnants of some farmer's harvest garden. Snow tomorrow, Rachel said, getting up as Deke's hand wandered almost absently down the upper swell of her breast. Yo, <laughs> she went to the window and looked out. What a bummer. I'll tell you what, Randy said. Let's go out to Cascade Lake. We'll swim out to the raft, say goodbye to summer and swim back. If he hadn't been half-loaded, he never would have made the suggestion, and he certainly didn't expect anyone to take it seriously. But Deke jumped on it. All right! Awesome, Poncho! Fucking awesome! Laverne jumped and spilled her beer, but she smiled. The smile made Randy a little uneasy. Let's do it! Deke, you're crazy, Rachel said, almost smiling. But her smile looked a little tentative, a little worried. No! I'm going to do it, Deke said, going for his coat with a mixture of dismay and excitement. Randy noted Deke's grin, reckless and a little crazy. <laughs> Same, honestly. The two of them had been rooming together for three years now. The jock and the brain, Cisco and Poncho, Batman and Robin. And Randy recognized that grin. Deke wasn't kidding. He meant to do it. In his head, he was already halfway there. Forget it, Cisco, not me. The words rose to his lips, but he 
But before he could say them, Laverne was on her feet, the same cheerful, loony look in her own eyes. Or maybe it was just too much beer. I'm up for it. Then let's go, Deke looked at Randy. What you say, Poncho? He had looked at Rachel for a moment then and saw something almost frantic in her eyes. As far as he himself was concerned, Deacon Laverne could go out to Cascade Lake together and plow the back 40 all night. He would not be delighted with the knowledge that they were boffing. <laughs> boffing each other's brains out. Yet neither would be surprised. But that look in the other girl's eyes, the haunted look. Oh, Cisco, Randy cried. Oh, Pancho, Deke cried back, delighted. They slapped palms. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Randy was halfway to the raft when he saw the black patch of water. It was beyond the raft and to the left of it, more out toward the middle of the lake. Five minutes later, the light would have failed too much for him to tell. It was anything more than a shadow, if he had seen it at all. Oil slick, he thought, still pulling hard through the water, faintly aware of the girls splashing behind him. But what would an oil slick be doing on an October deserted lake? And it was oddly circular, small, surely no more than five feet in diameter. Wow, this is traveling pretty much the same right spot. Right on the spot, yep. Pretty much the same Surprise. spot. Woo! Deke shouted again, and Randy looked forward, and Deke was climbing the ladder to the side of the raft, shaking off water like a dog. How you doing, Poncho? Okay, he called back, pulling harder. It wasn't as bad as he thought it might be, not once he got in and got moving. His body tingled with warmth, and now his motor was overdrive. He could feel his heart putting out good revs, heating him from the inside out. His folks had a place on Cape Cod, and the water there was worse than this in mid-July. You think it's bad now, Poncho? Wait till you get out! Deke yelled gleefully. He was hopping up and down, making the raft rock, rubbing his body. Randy forgot about the oil slick until his hands actually grasped the rough, white-painted wood of the ladder on the shore side. Then he saw it again. It was a little closer. A round, dark patch on the water, like a big mole rising and falling on the mild waves. When he had first seen it, the patch had been maybe 40 yards from the raft. Now it was half that distance. How can that be? How? Then he came out of the water and the cold air bit his skin, bit it even harder than the water had when he first dived in. Oh, shit, he yelled, laughing, shivering in the jockey shorts. Pancho, you eat some kind of big asshole, Deke said happily. He pulled Randy up. Cold enough for you? You sober yet? I'm sober, I'm sober. He began to jump around as Deke had done, clapping his arms across his chest and stomach in an X. They turned to look at the girls. Rachel had pulled ahead of Laverne, who was doing something that looked like a dog battle, performed by a dog with bad instincts. You ladies okay? Deke bellowed. Go to hell, macho city, Laverne <laughs> called, and Deke broke up again. Randy glanced to the side and saw the odd dark circular patch was even closer. Ten yards now. Still coming, it floated on the water, round and regular, like the top of a large steel drum. But the limber way it rode the swells made it clear that it was not the surface of a solid object. Fear, directionless but powerful, suddenly seized him. Swim! he shouted at the girls. 
and bent down to grasp Rachel's hand as she reached the ladder. He hauled her up. She bumped her knee hard. He heard the thud clearly. Ow! Hey! What? Laverne was still ten feet away. Randy glanced to the side again and saw the round thing nuzzle the offside of the raft. The thing was as dark as oil, but he was sure it wasn't oil. It was too dark, too thick, too even. Randy, that hurt! What are you doing being fu- Laverne, swim! Now it wasn't just fear, now it was terror. Laverne looked up, maybe not hearing the terror, but at least hearing the urgency. She looked puzzled, but she dog-paddled faster, closing the distance to the ladder. Randy, what's wrong with you? Deke asked. Randy looked to the side again and saw the thing fold itself around the raft square corner, and for a moment looked like a Pac-Man image with its mouth open to eat the electronic cookies. Then it slipped all the way around the corner and began to slide along the raft, one of the edges now straight. Help me get her up, Randy grunted to Deke and reached for her hand. Quick! Deke shrugged good-naturedly and reached for Laverne's other hand, and they pulled her up onto the raft's board surface bare seconds before the black thing slid by the ladder, its sides dimpling as it slipped past the ladder's uprights. Randy, have you gone crazy? Laverne was out of breath, a little frightened. Her nipples were clearly visible through the bra. They stood out in the cold, hard points. Steven's just gotta talk about the nips. It's 80s. He's in the 80s right now, so he's hanging out. <laughs> he's doing it. <laughs> that thing, Randy said, pointing. Deke, what is it? Deke spotted it. It had reached the left-hand corner of the raft. It drifted off a little to one side. Reassuming its round shape, it simply floated there. The four of them looked at it. Oil slick, I guess, Deke said. You really racked my knee, Rachel said, glancing at the dark thing on the water and then back at Randy. You, it's not an oil slick, Randy said. Did you ever see a round oil slick? That thing looks like a checker. I never saw an oil slick at all, Deke replied. He was talking to Randy, but was looking at Laverne. Laverne's panties were almost as transparent as her bra. The delta of her sex sculpted neatly in silk. Each buttock, a taut crescent. I don't even believe in them. From Missouri. I'm going to bruise, Rachel said, but the anger had gone out of her voice. She had seen Deke looking at Laverne. God, I'm cold, Laverne said. She shivered prettily. It went for the girls, Randy said. Come on, Poncho, I thought you said you got sober. It went for the girls, he repeated stubbornly and thought, no one knows we're here. No one at all. Have you ever seen an oil slick, Poncho? He had put his arm around Laverne's bare shoulder in the same almost absent way that he had touched Rachel's breast earlier that day. He wasn't touching Laverne's breast, not yet anyway, but his hand was close. Randy found he didn't care much one way or another. That black circular patch on the water, he cared about that. I saw one on the Cape four years ago, he said. We all pulled birds out of the stuff and tried to clean them off. Ecological, Pancho, Deke said approvingly. Mucho ecological, I think. <laughs> this is like pretty fucking close to the adaptation. Randy said it was just this big sticky mess all over the water. 
and streaks and big smears. It didn't look like that. It wasn't, you know, compact. It looked like an accident, he wanted to say. That thing doesn't look like an accident. It looks like it's on purpose. I want to go back now, Rachel said. She was still looking at Deacon Laverne. Randy saw her dull hurt in her face. He doubted if she knew it showed. So go, Laverne said. There was a look on her face, the clarity of absolute triumph, Randy thought. And if that thought seemed pretentious, it also seemed exactly right. The expression was not aimed precisely at Rachel, but neither was Laverne trying to hide it from the other girl. She moved a step closer to Deke. A step was all there was, and now their hips touched lightly. For one brief moment, Randy's attention passed from the thing floating on the water and focused on Laverne with an almost exquisite hate. Although he had never hit a girl in that one moment, he could have hit her with a real pleasure. <laughs> Not because he loved her, he had been a little infatuated with her, yes, and more than a little horny for her, yes, and a lot of jealous when she had become, begun to come on to Deke back at the apartment, oh yes, but he wouldn't have brought a girl he actually loved within 15 miles of Deke in the first place. But because he knew that expression on Rachel's face, how that expression felt inside. I'm afraid, Rachel said. Of an oil slick, Laverne asked incredulously, and then laughed. The urge to hit her swept over Randy again to just a swing, a big roundhouse open-handed blow through the air, to wipe that look of half-assed hatred from her face, <clears throat> and leave a mark on her cheek that would bruise in the shape of a hand. Let's see you swim back then, Randy said, and Laverne smiled indulgently at him. I'm not ready to go, she said, as if explaining to a child. She looked up at the sky and then at Deke. I want to watch the stars come out. <laughs> Rachel was a short girl, pretty, but in gamine, slightly insecure. I don't know what that word means. Gamin? Gamine? No clue. Nope. But in a gamine, slightly insecure way that made Randy think of New York girls. You saw them hurrying to work in the morning, wearing their smartly tailored skirts with slits in the front, or up one side, wearing the same look of slightly neurotic pr prettiness. Rachel's eyes always sparkled, but it was hard to tell if it were good cheer that lent them that lively look or just free-floating anxiety. Deke's tastes usually ran more to tall girls with dark hair and sleepy, slow eyes, and Randy saw it was now over between Deke and Rachel. Whatever there had been, something simple, maybe a little boring on his part, something deep and complicated, and probably painful on hers. It was over, so cleanly and suddenly that Randy almost heard the snap, a sound like dry kindling broken over a knee. He was a shy boy, but he moved to Rachel now and put an arm around her. She glanced up at him briefly, her face unhappy with grateful, but grateful for his gesture, and he was glad he had improved the situation for her a little. That similarity bobbed into his mind again, something in her face, her looks. He first associated it with a TV game show, then with commercials for crackers or wafers or some damn thing. It came to him then. She looked like Sandy Duncan. The actress who played in the revival of Peter Pan on Broadway. What is that thing? She asked Randy. What is it? I don't know. He glanced at Deke and saw Deke 
looking at him with that familiar smile that was more loving familiarity than contempt. But the contempt was there, too. Maybe Dick didn't even know it, but it was. The expression said, here goes old worrywart Randy, pissing in his ditties again. It was supposed to make Randy mumble an addiction. It's probably nothing. Don't worry about it. It'll go away. Something like that. He didn't let Deke smile. The black patch on the water scared him. That was the truth. Rachel stepped away from Randy and knelt prettily on the corner of the raft closest to the thing, and for a moment she triggered an even clearer memory association. The girl on the white rock labels. Sandy Duncan on the white rock labels, his mind amended. Her hair, close-cropped, slightly coarse blonde, lay wetly against her fine-shaped skull. He could see goosebumps on her shoulder blades above the white band of her bra. Don't fall in, Rach, Laverne said with bright malice. Quit it, Laverne, Deke said, still smiling. Randy looked from them, standing in the middle of the raft with their arms loosely around each other's waists, hips touching slightly, and back at Rachel. Alarm raced down her spine and out through her nerves like fire. The black patch had half the distance between it and the corner of the raft where Rachel was kneeling and looking at it. It had been six or eight feet away before. Now the distance was three feet or less, and he saw a strange look in her eyes, a round blankness that seemed queerly like the round blackness of the thing in the water. Now it's Sandy Duncan sitting on a white rock label and pretending to be hypnotized by the rich, delicious flavor of Nabisco Honeygrams. He thought idiotically, feeling his heart speed up as he had in the water, and he called out, Get out of there, Rachel. Then everything happened very fast. Things happened with the rapidity of fireworks going off, and yet he saw and heard each thing with perfect, hellish clarity. Each thing seemed caught in its own little capsule. Laverne laughed on the quad in the bright afternoon hour and might have sounded like any college girls laughed, but out here in the growing dark it sounded like the acrid cackle of a witch making a magic in a pot. Rachel, maybe you better get the... Deke said, but she interrupted him almost surely for the first time in her life, and indubitably for the last. It has colors, she cried in a voice of utter, trembling wonder. Her eyes stared at the black patch on the water with blank rapture, and for just a moment Randy thought he saw what she was talking about. Colors, yeah, colors, swirling in rich inward turning spirals. Then they were gone and there was only dull, lustreless black again. Such beautiful colors. Rachel! She reached for it, out and down her white arm, marbled with goose flesh, her hand held out to it, meaning to touch it. He saw she had bitten her nails ragged. Ray, he seemed, he sensed the raft tilt in the water, as Deke moved toward them. He reached for Rachel at the same time, meaning to pull her back, dimly aware that he didn't want Deke to be the one to do it. And then Rachel's hand touched the water, her forefinger only sending out one delicate ripple in a ring. The black patch surged over it, 
Randy heard her gasp in the air, and suddenly the blackness left her eyes, replaced was agony. The black, viscous substance ran up her arm like mud, and under it, Randy saw her skin dissolving. She opened her mouth and screamed, and at the same moment she began to tilt outward. She waved her other hand blindly at Randy, and he grabbed for it. Their fingers brushed, her eyes met his, and she still looked hellishly like Sandy Duncan. Then she fell outward and splashed into the water. The black thing flowed over the spot where she had landed. What happened? Laverne was screaming behind them. What happened? Did she fall in? What happened to her? Randy made as if to dive in after her, and Deke pushed him backward with a casual force. No, he said in a frightened voice that was utterly unlike Deke. All three of them saw her flail to the surface. Her arms came up waving. No, not arms. One arm. The other was covered with a black membrane that hung in flaps and folds of something red and knitted with tendons, something that looked a little like a rolled roast of beef. Help, Rachel screamed. Her eyes glared at them, away from them, at them, away. Her eyes were like lanterns being waved aimlessly in the dark. She beat the water to a froth. Help, it hurts. Please help, it hurts. It hurts. It hurt. Randy had fallen when Deke pushed him. Now he got up from the boards of the raft and stumbled forward again, unable to ignore that voice. He tried to jump in and Deke grabbed him, wrapping his big arms around Randy, Thin's chest. No. She's dead, he whispered harshly. Christ, can't you see that she's dead, Poncho? Thick blackness suddenly poured across Rachel's face like a drape, and her screams were first muffled and then cut off entirely. Now the black stuff seemed to bind her in a crisscrossing of ropes. Randy could see it sinking into her like acid, and when her jugular vein gave way in a dark, pumping jet, he saw the thing send out a pseudopod after the escaping blood. He could not believe what he was seeing. He could not understand it. But there was no doubt, no sensation of losing his mind, no belief that he was dreaming or hallucinating. Laverne was screaming. Randy turned to look at her just in time to see her slap a hand melodramatically over her eyes like a silent movie heroine. He thought he could laugh and tell her this, but found he could not make a sound. He looked back at Rachel. Rachel was not there anymore. Her struggles had weakened to the point where they were really no more than spasms. The blackness oozed over her, bigger now, Randy thought. It's bigger, no question about it, with mute, muscular power. He saw her hand beat it. He saw the hand become stuck, as if in molasses on flypaper. Saw it consumed. And now there was a sense of her form only not in the water, but in the black thing, not turning, but being turned the form becoming less recognizable. A white flash, bone, he thought, sickly, and turned away, vomiting helplessly over the side of the raft. Laverne was still screaming, and there was a dull whap, and she stopped screaming and began to snivel. He hit her, Randy thought. I was going to do that, remember? He <laughs> nice. stepped back, wiping his mouth, feeling weak and ill and scared. So scared he could think, 
with only one tiny wedge of his mind. Soon he would begin to scream himself, and Deke would have to slap him. <laughs> Deke wouldn't panic. Oh no, Deke was a hero material for sure. You gotta be a football hero to get along with the beautiful girls, his mind sang cheerfully. Then he could hear Deke talking to him, and he looked up into the sky, trying to clear his head, trying desperately to put away the vision of Rachel's form becoming blobbish and inhuman as that black thing ate her, not wanting Deke to slap him the way that he had slapped Laverne. He looked up at the sky and saw the first stars shining up there, the shape of the dipper already clear as the last white light faded out of the west. It was nearly 7.30. Oh, Cisco, he managed. Cisco. Oh, Cisco, he managed. We are in big trouble these times, I think. What is it? His hand fell on Randy's shoulder, gripping and twisting painfully. It ate her. Did you see it? It ate her. It fucking ate her up. What is it? I don't know. Didn't you hear me before? You're supposed to know you're a fucking brain ball. <laughs> brain ball? You take all the fucking science courses. Now Deke was almost screaming himself, and that helped Randy get a little more control. There's nothing like that in any science book I've ever read, Randy told him. The last time I saw anything like that was Halloween shock show down at the Rialto when I was 12. Oh, the thing has regained its round shape now. It floated on the water 10 feet from the raft. It's bigger, Laverne moaned. When Randy had first seen it, he had guessed its diameter about 5 feet. Now it had been last, at least 8 feet across. It's bigger because it ate Rachel, Laverne cried, and began to scream again. Yeah, she's just saying all the right things, though. Stop that or I'm going to break your jaw, Deke said. <laughs> nice. And she stopped. Not all, at once. <laughs> <laughs> Not all at once, but winding down the way a record does when someone turns off the juice without taking the needle off the disc. His eyes are huge things. Deke looked back at Rachel. You all right, Pancho? He looked back at Randy. Oh, look back at Randy. That's Pancho. better. <laughs> Dean looked back to Randy. You all right, Pancho? I don't know. I guess so. My man, they tried to smile, and Randy saw with some alarm that he was succeeding. That he was succeeding. Was some part of Deke enjoying this? You don't have any idea at all what it might be? Randy shook his head. Maybe it was an old slick after all, or it had been until something had happened to it. Maybe cosmic rays had hit it in a certain way, or maybe Arthur Guthrie had pissed Atomic Bisquick all over it. Who knew? Who could know? Who could know? Can we swim past it, you think? Dick persisted, shaking Randy's shoulder. No, Laverne shrieked. Stop it or I'm going to smoke you, Laverne, Dick said, <laughs> raising his voice again. I'm not kidding. You saw how fast it took Rachel, Randy said. Maybe it was hungry then, Dick answered, but maybe now it's full. Randy thought of Rachel kneeling there on the corner of the raft, still so pretty in her brown panties, and felt his gorge rise again. Nice. <laughs> gotta, gotta talk so, about things. Yeah, it's, if it's Stephen so, King, we yeah. gotta talk about dicks. The most awkward spot for it as well. It's always the most awkward spot. You try it, he said to Deke. Deke grinned humorously. Oh, Pancho. Oh, Cisco. I want to go home, Laverne said in a future or future whisper. Okay? Neither of them replied. So we wait for it to go away, Deke said. It'll come, it'll go away. Maybe, Randy said. Deke looked at him, his face full of fierce concentration in the gloom. Maybe? What's this maybe shit? We came, and it came. I saw it come like it smelled us. If it's full, like you say it is, it'll go. I guess, if it wants the chow, he shrugged. Dean stood thoughtfully, head bent. His short hair was still dripping a little. We wait, he said. Let's eat fish. Let it eat fish. Let it eat fish. Let it eat fish. Fifty minutes passed. They didn't talk. It got colder. It was maybe 50 degrees and all three of them were in their underwear. After the first 10 minutes, Randy could hear the brisk intermittent clickety-clock of his teeth. 
Laverne had tried to move next to Deke, but he pushed her away, gently but firmly enough. Let me be for now, he said. So she sat down, arms crossed over her breast, hands cupping her elbows, shivering. She looked at Randy, her eyes telling him he could come back, put his arm around her. It was okay now. He looked away instead, back at the dark circle in the water. It just floated there, not coming any closer, but not going away either. He looked toward the shore, and there was the beach, a ghostly white crescent that seemed to float. The trees behind it made a dark, bulking horizon line. He thought he could see the Deke's marrow, but he wasn't sure. We just picked up and went, Deke said. That's right, Randy said. Didn't tell anyone. Nope. So no, no one knows we're here. Nope. Stop it, Laverne shouted. Stop it, you're scaring me. Shut your pie hole, Deke said absolutely. And Randy laughed in spite of himself, no matter how many times Deke said it. It always slowed. If we had to spend the night out here, we do. Somebody will hear us yelling tomorrow. We're hardly in the middle of the Australian outback, are we, Randy? Randy said nothing. Are we? You know where we are, Randy said. You know as well as I do. He turned off Route 41. We came up eight miles off the back road. Cottages every 50 feet. Summer cottages. This is October. They're empty. The whole bucking bunch of them. We got here and you had to drive around like damn gate. No trespassing signs every 50 feet. So... A caretaker, Deke was sounding a little pissed now, a little off balance, a little scared. For the first time tonight, for the first time this month, this year, maybe for the first time in his whole life. Now there was an awesome thought. Deke loses his fear cherry. Randy was not sure it was happening, but he thought it maybe it was. And he took a preserved pleasure in it. Perverse pleasure in it. Nothing to steal, nothing to vandalize, he said. If there's a caretaker, he probably pops by here on a bi-monthly basis. Hunters. Next month, yeah, Randy <laughs> said, and shut his mouth with a snap. He had also succeeded in scaring himself. Maybe it'll leave us alone, Laverne said. This made a pathetic, loose little smile. Maybe it'll just, you know, leave us alone, Deke said. Maybe pigs will. It's moving, Randy said. Laverne leaped to her feet. Deke came to where Randy was, and for a moment, the raft tilted, scaring Randy's heart into a gallop and making Laverne scream again. Then Deke stepped back a little, and the raft stabilized. In the left front corner, as they had faced the shoreline, dipped down slightly more than the rest of the raft. It came with an oily, frightening speed, and as it did, Randy saw the colors Rachel had seen. Fantastic reds and yellows and blues spiraling across the ebony surface like limp plastic or dark little nagai. I don't know that word either. Yeah, that's a weird one. He uses some weird ones sometimes. Nagahide? Yeah. Nagahide? Yeah. yeah. It rose and fell with the waves, and that changed the colors, made them swirl and blend. Randy realized he was, Randy realized he was going to fall over, fall right into it. He could, heal, or he could feel himself tilting out. With the last of his strength, he brought his right fist up into his, up into his nose, the gesture of a man stifling a cough, only a little high and a lot hard. His nose flared with pain. He felt blood warming down his face, and then he, he was able to step back, crying out, don't look at it, Deke. Don't look right at the colors. It'll make you loopy. It's trying to get on the raft, Deke said grimly. What's this shit, Poncho? Randy looked. He looked carefully, and he looked very carefully. He saw the thing nuzzling the side of the raft, flattening to a shape like a half pizza. For a moment, it seemed to be piling up there, thickening, and he had an alarming vision of it piling up enough to run onto the surface of the raft. Then he squeezed under. He thought he heard a noise for a moment, a rough noise, like a roll of canvas being pulled through a narrow window. That might have only been nerves. Did it go under, Laverne said, and there was something oddly nonchalant about her tone, as if she was trying to, with all her might, to be conversational, but she was screaming too. 
Did it go under the giraffe? Is it under us? Yes, Deke said. He looked at Randy. I'm going to swim for it now, he said. If it's under there, I've got a good chance. No, Laverne screamed. No, don't leave us here. Don't. I'm fast, Deke said, looking at Randy, ignoring Laverne completely. But I've got to go while it's under there. Randy's mind felt as it was whizzing along at Mach 2 in a greasily nauseating way. It was exhilarating, like the last few seconds before you puke into a slipstream of a cheap carnival ride. <laughs> there was a time to hear the barrels under the raft clunking hollowly together. Time to hear the leaves on the trees beyond the beach rattling dryly in a little puff of wind. Time to wonder why it had gone under the raft. Yes, he said to Deke, but I don't think you'll make it. I'll make it, Deke said, and started toward the edge of the raft. He got two steps and stopped. His breath had been speeding up, his brain getting heart and lungs ready to swim the fastest 50 yard of his life, and now his breath stopped like the rest of them. Simply stopped in the middle of an inhale. He turned his head and saw Rand and Randy saw the cords in his neck stand out. Ponch, he said in an amazed, choked voice, and then he began to scream. He screamed with amazing force, great baritone bellows that splintered up toward wild soprano levels. They were loud enough to echo back from the shore in a ghostly half notes. At first, Randy thought he was just screaming. Then he realized it was a word. No, two words. The same two words over and over again. My foot, Deke was screaming. My foot, my foot, my foot. This is happening exactly like the fucking Sorry. movie. Yeah. Randy looked down. Deke's foot had taken on an odd sunken look. The reason was obvious, but Randy's mind refused to accept it at first. It was too impossible, too insanely grotesque. As he watched, Deke's foot was being pulled down between two of the boards that made up the surface of the raft. Then he saw the dark shine of the black thing beyond the heel and toes. Dark shine alive with swirling, malevolent colors. The thing had his foot. My foot, Deke screamed as if furnace elementary deduction. My foot, oh my foot, my foot! He had stepped one of the cracks between the boards, stepped on a crack, break your mother's back, Randy's mind gibbered. And the thing had been down there. The thing had pull, he screamed back suddenly. Pull, Deke, goddammit, pull! What's happening, Laverne hollered. And Randy realized dimly that she wasn't just shaking his shoulder. She had sunk her spade-shaped fingernails into him like claws. She's going to be absolutely no help at all. He drove an elbow into her stomach. She made a barking coughing noise and sat down on her fanny. He, helped, he leaped to Deke and grabbed one of Deke's arms. It was hard as a Carrera marble, every muscle standing out like a rib of a sculpted dinosaur skeleton. Pulling Deke was like trying to pull a big tree out of the ground by the roots. Deke's eyes were turned up toward the royal purple of the post-dust sky, glazed and unbelieving. And he still, he screamed, he screamed, screamed. Randy looked down and saw that Deke's foot had now disappeared into the crack between the boards up in the ankle. The crack was perhaps only a quarter of an inch wide, surely no more than half an inch, but his foot had gone into it. Blood ran across the white boards into thick, dark tendrils. Black stuff had, like the heated plastic, pulsed up and down the crack, up and down. Like a heart beating. Gotta get him out. Gotta get him out quick, or we're never gonna get him out at all. Hold on, Cisco. Please, hold on. Laverne got to her feet and backed away from the gnarled, screaming deke tree in the center of the raft, which floated at anchor under the October stars of Cascade Lake. She was shaking her head numbly, her arms crossed over her belly where Randy's elbow had gotten her. Deke leaned hard against him, arms groping stupidly. Randy looked down and saw blood gushing from Deke's shin, which now tapered the way a sharpened pencil tapers to a point. Only the point here was white, not black. The point was a uh, bone, barely visible. The black stuff surged up again, sucking, eating. Deke wailed. 
Never going to play football on that foot again. What foot? Haha. <laughs> and he pulled Deke with all his might. And it was still like putting, like pulling at a rooted tree. Deke lurched again, and now he uttered a long, drilling shriek that made Randy fall back, shrieking himself, hands covering his ears. Blood burst from the pores of Deke's calf and shin. His kneecap had taken on a purple, bulging look as it had tried to absorb the tremendous pressure being put on it as the black thing hauled Deke's legs down through the narrow crack inch by inch. Can't help him. How strong it must be. Can't help him now. I'm sorry, Deke. So sorry. Hold me, Randy. I remember that. Laverne screamed, clutching at him everywhere, digging her face into his chest. Her face was so hot it seemed to sizzle. Hold me, please. Won't you hold me? This time he did. It was only later that a terrible realization came to Randy. The two of them could have almost surely have swum ashore while the black thing was busy with Deke. And if Laverne refused to try it, he could have done it himself. The keys to the Camaro were in Deke's jeans, lying on the beach. He could have done it. But the realization that he could have never came to him until too late. Deke died just as his thigh began to disappear into the narrowing crack between the boards. He stopped shrieking minutes before, and since then he had uttered only thick, syrupy grunts. Then those stopped, too. When he fainted, falling forward, Randy heard whatever remained of his femur and his right leg splinter in a green stick fracture. A moment later, Deke raised his head, looked around groggily, and opened his mouth, and Randy thought he meant to scream again. Instead, he voided a great jet of blood, so thick it almost looked solid. Both Randy and Laverne were splattered with its warmth, and she began to scream again, only hoarsely now. Ugh, she cried, her face twisted in a half-mad revulsion. Ugh, blood, ugh, blood, blood, she rubbed at herself and only succeeded in smearing it around. Blood was pouring from Deke's eyes, coming with such force that they had bugged almost comically with the force of the hemorrhage, Randy thought. Talk about vitality. Christ, look at that. He's like a goddamn human fire hydrant. God, God, God. Blood streamed from both of Deke's ears. His face was a hideous purple turnip, swelled shapeless with the hydrostatic pressure of some unbelievable reversal. It was the face of a man being clutched in a bear hug of monstrous and unknowable force. And then mercifully, it was over. Deke collapsed forward again, his hair hanging down on the raft's bloody boards, and Randy saw with sickish amazement that even Deke's scalp had bled. Sounds from under the raft, sucking sounds. That was when it occurred to his tottering, overloaded mind that he could swim for it and stand a good chance of making it. But Laverne had gotten heavy in his arms. Ominously heavy. He looked at her slack face, rolled back an eyelid to disclose only white, and knew that she had not fainted, but fallen into a state of shock and consciousness. Randy looked at the surface of the raft. He could lay her down, of course, but the boards were only a foot across. There was a diving board platform attached to the raft in the summertime, but that at least had been taken down and stored somewhere. Not left, nothing left, but the surface of the raft itself, 14 boards, each a foot wide and 20 feet long. No way to pull her down without laying her unconscious body across any number of those cracks. Step on a crack, break your mother's back, shut up. And then, tenebrously, he, his mind whispered, Do it anyway. Put her down. Swim for it. But he didn't. He couldn't. An awful guilt rose to him at the thought. He held her, feeling the soft, steady drag on his arms and back. She was a big girl. 
Deke went down. Randy held Laverne in his aching arms and watched it happen. He did not want to, and for long seconds, that might have even been minutes, he turned his face away entirely, but his eyes always wandered back. With Deke dead, it seemed to go faster. The rest of the right leg disappeared, his left leg stretching out further and further until Deke looked like a one-legged ballet dancer doing an impossible split. There was the wishbone crack of his pelvis, and then a as Deke's stomach began to swell ominously with new pressure, Randy looked away for a long time, trying not to hear the wet sounds, trying to concentrate on the pain in his arms. He could maybe bring her around, he thought, but for the time being, it was better to have the throbbing pain in his arms and shoulders. It gave him something to think about. From behind him came a sound like a strong teeth crunching up a mouthful of candy jawbreakers. When he looked back, Deke's ribs were collapsing into the crack. His arms were up and out, and he looked like an obscene parody of Richard Nixon giving the V for Victory sign that parody that had driven demonstrators wild in the 60s and 70s. His eyes were open. His tongue had popped out at Randy. Randy looked away again, out across the lake, look for lights, he told himself. He knew there were no lights over there, but he told himself to look anyway. Look for lights over there. Somebody's got to be staying there this week. Fall foliage shouldn't miss it. Bring your Nikon folks back home. are going to love the slides. When he looked back, Deke's arms were straight up. He wasn't Nixon anymore. Now he was a football ref signaling the extra point had been good. Deke's head appeared to be sitting on the boards. His eyes were still open. His tongue was still sticking out. Oh, Cisco, Randy muttered and looked away again. His arms and shoulders were shrieking now, but still. He held her in his arms. He looked at the far side of the lake. The far side of the lake was dark. Stars unrolled across the black sky, a spill of cold milk somehow suspended high in the air. Minutes passed. He'll be gone now. You can look now, okay? Yeah, all right. But don't look. Just be safe. Don't look. Agreed? Agreed. Most definitely. So say we all, and so say all of us. So he looked anyway and was just in time to see Deke's fingers being pulled down. They were moving, probably. The motion of the water under the raft was being transmitted to the unknowable thing which had caught Deke's, and the motion was then being transmitted to Deke's fingers. Probably. Probably. But it looked to Randy as if Deke was waving to him. The Cisco kid was waving adios. For the first time, he felt his mind give a sickening wrench. It seemed to cant the way the raft itself had canted when all four of them had stood on the same side. It righted itself, but Randy suddenly understood that madness, real lunacy, was perhaps not far away at all. Deke's football ring, all-conference, 1981, did slowly up the third finger of his right hand. The starlight rimmed the gold and played to the minute gutters between the engraved numbers 19 on the side of the reddish stone, 81 on the side of the other. The ring slid off his finger. The ring was a little too big to fit down the th through the crack, and of course, it wouldn't squeeze. It lay there. It was all that was left of Deke now. Deke was gone. No mare, no more dark-haired girls with slow eyes. No more flicking Randy's bare rump with a wet towel when Randy came out of the shower. No more breakaway runs from midfield with fans rising to their feet in the bleachers and cheerleaders turning hysterical cartwheels along the sidelines. No more fast rides after dark in the Camaro with the thin Lizzie blaring. The boys are back in town. 
out of the tent deck. No more Cisco Kid. There was that faint rasping noise again, the roll of canvas being pulled slowly through a slit of a window. Randy was standing with his bare feet on the boards, and he looked down and saw the cracks on either side. Both of his feet suddenly filled with slick darkness, and his eyes bulged. He thought of the way the blood had come spraying from Deke's mouth in an almost solid rope, the way Deke's eyes had bugged out as if on springs as hemorrhages caused by hydrostatic pressure pulped his brain. It smells me. It knows I'm here. Can it come up? Can it get up through the cracks? Can it? Can it? He stared down, unaware of Laverne's limp weight, now fascinated by the enormity of the question, wondering what the stuff would feel like when it flowed over his feet, when it hooked onto him. The black shininess humped up almost to the edge of the cracks. Randy rose on his tiptoes without being at all aware of what he was doing. And then it went down. The canvassy slithering resumed, and suddenly Randy saw it on the water again, a great dark mole now perhaps 15 feet across. It rose and fell with the mild wavelets, rose and fell, rose and fell, and when Randy began to see the colors pulsing evenly across it, he tore his eyes away. He put Laverne down, and as soon as his muscles unlocked, his arms began to shake wildly. He let them shake. He knelt down beside her, her hair spread across the white boards in a regular dark fan. He knelt and watched that dark mole on the water, ready to yank her up again if it showed any signs of moving. He began to slap her lightly. First one cheek and then the other back and forth like a second trying to bring a fighter around. Laverne didn't want to come around. Laverne did not want to pass go and collect $200 or take a ride on the Redding. Laverne had seen enough, but Randy couldn't guard her all night lifting her like a canvas sack every time the thing moved and you couldn't look at the thing too long. That was another thing. He had learned a trick though. He had learned... It in college, he had learned it from a friend of his older brother's. The friend had been a paramedic in Nam, and he knew all sorts of tricks. How to catch head lice off the human scalp and make them race in a matchbox. How to cut cocaine with baby laxative. How to sew up deep cuts with ordinary needle and thread. One day they had been talking about ways to bring abysmally drunken folks around so that these abysmally drunk people wouldn't puke down their own throats and die, as Bon Scott, the lead singer of ACDC, had done. You want to bring someone around in a hurry, the friend with the catalog of interesting tricks had said. Try this, and then he told Randy the trick, which Randy now used. He leaned over and bit Laverne's earlobe as hard as he could. Hot, bitter blood squirted into his mouth. Laverne's eyelids flew up like window shades. She screamed in a hoarse, growling voice and struck out at him. Randy looked it up and saw the far side of the thing only. The rest of it was under the raft. It had moved with eerie horrible silent speed he jerked laverne up again his muscles screaming protest trying to knot into charlie horses she was beating on his face one of her hands struck his sensitive nose and he saw red stars quit it he shouted shuffling his feet onto the boards quit it you bitch it's under us again quit it or i'll fucking drop you i swear to god i will her arms immediately stopped flailing at him and closed quietly around his neck in a drowner's grip her eyes looked white in the swimming starlight. Stop it, she didn't stop. Stop it, Laverne, you're choking me, tighter. Panic flared in his mind. The hollow clunk of the barrels had taken on a duller, muffled tone. It was the thing underneath, he supposed. I can't breathe. The hold loosened a little. 
Now listen, I'm going to put you down. It's all right if you... But put you down was all she had heard. Her arms tightened in that deadly grip again. His right hand was on her back. He hooked it into a claw and raked at her. She kicked her legs, mewling harshly, and for a moment he almost lost his balance. She felt it. Fright rather than pain made her stop struggling. Stand on the boards. Nora air puffed a hot desert wind against his cheek. It can't get you if you stand on the boards. No, don't put me down. It'll get me. I know it will. I know. He raked at her back again. She screamed in anger and pain and fear. You get down or I'll drop you, Laverne. He lowered her slowly and carefully, both of them breathing in sharp little whines, oboe and flute. Her feet touched the boards, and she jerked her legs up as the boards were hot. Put them down, he hissed at her. I'm not Deke. I can't hold you all night. Deke. Dead. Her feet touched the boards. Little by little, he could let go of her. They faced each other like dancers, and he could see her waiting for its first touch. Her mouth gaped like the mouth of a goldfish. Randy, she whispered. Where is it? Under. Look down. She did, and he did, and they saw a blackness stuffing the cracks, stuffing them almost all the way to the raft now. Randy sensed his eagerness and thought she did too. Randy, please. Shh. They stood there. Randy had forgotten to strip off his watch when he ran into the water, and now he marked off 15 minutes. At a quarter past eight, the black thing slid out from underneath the raft again. It drew about 15 feet off and then stopped as it had before. I'm going to sit down, he said. No, I'm tired, he said. I'm going to sit down and you're going to watch it. Just remember to keep looking away. Then I'll get up and you sit down. We go like that here. He gave her his watch. 15 minutes shifts. It ate deek, she whispered. Yes. What is it? I don't know. I'm cold. <laughs> me too. Hold me then. I've held you enough. And she subsided. <laughs> I love the conversationalist <laughs> of that. Sitting down was heaven. Not having to watch the thing was bliss. He watched Laverne instead, making sure that her eyes kept shifting away from the thing on the water. What are we going to do, Randy? He thought. Wait, he said. At the end of 15 minutes, he stood up and let her first, or let her first sit and then lie down for half an hour. Then he got her on her feet again and she stood for 15 minutes. They went back and forth. At a quarter of 10, a cold rind of moon rose and beat a path across the water. At 10.30, a shrill, lonely cry voice echoing across the water and Laverne shrieked. Shut up, he said. It's just a loon. <laughs> I'm freezing, Randy. I'm numb all over. I can't do anything about it. Hold me, she said. You've got to. We'll hold each other. We both can't sit. We can both sit down and watch it together. He debated, but the cold sinking to his own flesh was now bone deep, and that decided him. Okay. They sat together, arms wrapped around each other, and something happened. Natural perverse habit. He felt himself stiffening. <laughs> when his hand found her breast... <laughs> Have to talk about dicks. Yeah, cupped in damp nylon and squeezed. She made a sighing noise, and her hand stole to the crotch of his underpants. Oh, she's reciprocating in this adaptation, I see. He slid his under hand down. It's creepy in a creep show because she's asleep and he's yeah. just like looking at her tits and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's weird. Yeah. He slid his under hand down and found a place where there was some heat. He pushed her down on her back. No, she said. But the hand in his crotch began to move faster. I can see it, he said. His heartbeat had sped up again, pushing blood faster, pushing warmth through the surface of his chilled bare skin. I can watch it. She murmured something and he felt ecstatic. He felt elastic slide down his hips oh, to his shit. upper thighs. He watched it. He slid upward, forward into her. Oh, God. 
warmth. God, she was warm there. At least she made a guttural noise and her fingers grabbed at his cold clenched buttocks. <laughs> he watched. <laughs> I'm laughing. It wasn't moving. He watched it. He watched it closely. The tactile sensations were incredible, fantastic. He was not experienced, but neither was he a virgin. He had made love with three girls, and it had never been like this. She moaned and began to lift her hips. The raft rocked gently, like the world's hardest waterbed. <laughs> the barrels underneath murmured hollowly. He watched it. The colors began to swirl slowly now, sensuously, not threatening. He watched it, and he watched the colors. His eyes were wide. The colors were his eyes. He wasn't cold now. He was hot now. Hot the way you got your first date back on the beach, on your first date back on the beach in early June. You could feel the sun tightening your winter white skin, reddening it, giving it time. Colors. Color, some tint. First day at the beach, first day of the summer. Drag out the Beach Boys oldies. Drag out the Ramones. The Ramones were telling you that Sheena a punk, is a punk rocker. And the Ramones were telling you that you can hitch a ride at Rockaway Beach. The sand, the beach, the colors. Moving, starting to move. And the feel of summer, texture. Gary U.S. Bond, school is out, and I can root for the Yankees from the bleachers. Girls in bikinis on the beach, the beach, the beach. Oh, do you love, do you love, love. The beach, do you love, love I love. Firm breasts, fragrant with copper tone oil. And if the bottom of the bikini was small enough, you might see some hair. Her hair, her hair is in the, oh God, the water of her hair. He pulled back suddenly, trying to pull her up, but the thing moved with oily speed and tangled herself in her hair like a webbing of thick black glue. And when he pulled her, when he pulled her up, she was already screaming and she was heavy with it. It came out of the water in a twisting, gruesome membrane that rolled with flaring nuclear colors, scarlet, vermilion, flaring emerald, sullen ochre. It flowed down over Laverne's face in a tide, obliterating it. That's much worse yeah. than in the than in the movie. Her feet kicked and drummed. The thing twisted and moved where her face had been. Blood ran down her neck in screams, screaming, not hearing himself scream. Randy ran her and put his foot against her hip and shoved. She went flopping and tumbling over the side, her legs like alabaster in the moonlight. And for a few endless moments, the water frothed and splashed against Holy the side of the raft shit. as if someone had hooked the world's largest bass in there and it was fighting like hell. Randy screamed. He screamed and then for the variety, he screamed some more. Some half hour later, along the frantic splashing and struggling it, and the loons began to scream back. That night was forever. Okay, so in the short story, yeah. this is when he makes a run for it. Yeah. So he's not making a run for it right now, and this is like a, this is finally like a different thing that's happening. Yeah. He doesn't have sex with her in the, no, in they, the film, but that he never definitely really, tries that never to put down her panties, and then. Yeah. Yeah. And then it gets her face and yep. it only gets onto a side of her face and then she starts screaming and then it miraculously just pulls her off yep. and he takes that opportunity to, divide, uh, to dive into the water. The sky began to lighten in the east around a quarter to the five and he felt sluggish rise in his spirit. It was momentary, as false, had, as false as the dawn. He stood on the boards, his eyes half closed, his chin on his chest. He had been sitting on the boards until an hour ago and had suddenly been awakened without even knowing until that he and told them that he had even fallen asleep. That was the scary part. By that unspeakable hissing canvas sound. He leaped to his feet bare seconds before the blackness began to suck eagerly for him between the boards. His breath whined in and out. He bit at his lip, making it bleed. Asleep, you were asleep, you asshole. The thing had oozed out from under again half an hour later, but he hadn't sat down again. 
he was afraid to sit down, afraid he would go to sleep, and that this time his mind wouldn't trip him awake this time. In time. His feet were still planted squarely on the boards as a stronger light, real dawn this time, filled the east, and the first morning birds began to sing. The sun came up by six o'clock. The day was bright enough for him to be able to see the beach. Deke's Camaro, bright yellow, was right where Deke had parked it, nose in the pole fence. A bright litter of shirts and sweaters and four pairs of jeans were twisted in little shapes along the beach. The sight of them filled him with a fresh horror when he thought his capacity for horror must surely be exhausted. He could see his jeans, one leg pulled inside out, the pockets showing. His jeans looked so safe lying there on the sand, just waiting for him to come back along and pull the inside out leg back through so he was right, grasping the pocket as he did so the change wouldn't fall out. He could almost feel them whispering up his leg, could feel them buttoning the brass button above the fly. Do you love? Yes, I love. He looked left and there was black round as a checker, floating silently. Colors began to swirl across its hide and he looked away quickly. Go home, he croaked. Go home or go to California and find a Roger Corman movie to audition for. A plane droned somewhere far away and he fell into a dozing fantasy. We are a reporter missing, the four of us. The search spreads out from the Horlicks. A farmer remembers being passed by a yellow Camaro going like a bat out of hell. The search centers in the Cascade Lake area. Private pilots volunteer to do a quick aerial search and one guy buzzing the lake in his Beechcraft twin Bonanza sees a kid standing naked on a raft. One kid, one survivor, one. He caught himself on the edge of toppling over and brought his fist into his nose again, screaming at the pain. The black thing arrowed at the raft immediately and squeezed underneath. He could hear perhaps or sense or something. Randy waited. This time it was 45 minutes before it came out and his mind slowly orbited in the growing light. Do you love? Yes, I love. Rooting the Yankees and the catfish. Do you love the catfish? Yes, I love. Route 66. Remember the Corvette George Maharis and the Corvette Martin Wellner and the Corvette. Do you love the Corvette? Yes, I love Corvette. I love. Do you love? So hot the sun is like a burning glass. It was in her hair. It's a light I remember. Best light. The summer light. The summer light of afternoon. Randy was crying. He was crying because something new had been added now. Every time he tried to sit down, the thing slid underneath the raft. It wasn't entirely stupid then. It had either sensed or figured out that it could get at him while he was sitting down. Go away, Randy wept at the great black mole floating on the water. Fifty yards away, mockingly close, a squirrel was scampering back and forth on the hood of Deke's Camaro. Go away, please. Go anywhere. But leave me alone. I don't love you. The thing didn't move. Colors began to swirl across its visible surface. You do, you, you do love me. Randy tore his eyes away and looked at the beach, looked for a rescue, but there was no one there, no one at all. His jeans laid still there, one leg inside out, the white lining of his one pocket showing. They no longer looked to him as if someone was going to pick them up. They looked like relics. He thought, if I had a gun, I would kill myself now. He stood on the raft. The sun went down. Three hours later, the moon came up. Not long after that, the loons began to scream. No longer after that, Randy turned and looked at the black thing on the water. He could not kill himself, but perhaps that thing could fix it so there was no pain. Perhaps that's what the colors were for. Do you do? You do love. You do you love. He looked for it, and there it was, floating, riding the waves. Sing with me, Randy croaked. I can root for the Yankees from the bleachers. I don't have to worry about teachers. I'm so glad the school is out. I am going to sing and shout. The colors began to form and twist. This time Randy did not look away. He whispered, Do you love? 
somewhere far across Anthony Lake, a loon screamed. He kind of... Uh... He he gets into the existential dread of it, and yeah. and just gives up. Yeah, and just gives up. Um, man, I like the the movie more. Do you? I love that he goes for it. Yeah, I love that he goes for it because me, I'd go for it. Something I always told myself is I'm a very strong swimmer. I'm okay. a very strong swimmer. I could swim faster than I could run. I could. I could get through water real fucking quick. And I I know I can do that no matter what I weigh, no matter what condition I'm in. I could have a broken ankle and I could fucking swim real fucking fast. I know I could. And I think I would need to see it move and see how fast it moves and how it works for me to not do that. Because I would have to tell myself I could outswim it. Yeah. The number one thing to get over is I could outswim it. How quick, when it fucks off and floats in the distance trying to get whatever, fish, birds, whatever, how quick does it find itself back at the raft? Because he says like from 50 feet, 50 yards away at some yeah. points, like 40 yards away, like yeah. that's pretty fucking far. And I'm telling you, I could swim, I could swim a, a water raft dock to beach in minutes, you know, as well, he, fast as I can. Yeah, he says like fifty meters. Uh, fifty meters isn't that much. It's one pool length. So I think of it as one 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 giant big pool like public one, city yeah. pool or, yeah. or like high school pool. Yeah, yeah. I, so that's one. I think I could. One. I think I could do that yeah. in less than a minute. Let me. Yeah. Literally. Oh yeah. So so part of me is just always like, dive pussy. Yeah. Like. You know, like part of me, part of me loves that about the movie because the movie unabashedly says pragmatic example yeah. forward. It, it 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 literally says fight or flight, flight the fuck yeah. out of there yeah. because there is no fight. You know, when he now the the what I'm surprised at is that the film does recap the book to like a seventy five percent degree and it's mostly the first 75% of the story it's only the last 25% sure. that really is changed and Deke's body is more slowly digested yeah in the novel um he goes in like 30 seconds in in it it doesn't suck him through the boards in the movie it breaks through the boards and pulls his body yeah. down and um I would love to see a horror sequence five minutes long of a person getting slowly sucked through a a gate. Like each individual bones breaking as it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty gnarly. I think. And that's what makes the story so great. So visceral is that he had the wherewithal to like write that. Yeah. Like I'm going to suck a whole body through a, through a crack in the door. This is all happening while they're having a completely different conversation on the side. So that's, he says he's gonna go for it, and he yeah. just steps right into it. Yeah. What an idiot! That's why I'm always looking down. I know. <laughs> so I you gotta know your footing. You gotta know where it is. It's under you. So why would you go for it at that point? It's a, it's a difference. He's a bit of an idiot. Yes. Yeah. A oh, big time. I think that was kind there of was yeah. So many other chances he could have gone yeah. for it. It's just 
that's the difference between an adaption that gets created into film versus a Stephen King book. That there is always totally yeah. It's it's most of you know movies require endings. It's yeah. really rarely that you see, especially a movie that has, especially a story, a short story has an open ending, like that is like that, that is so that is so extreme of an open ending that you can essentially it is. make three different cases of what's actually going to happen to him when he tries to die for it and tries to go for it. To or does he, he sit just, there and wait? To he just loses his mind and eventually like jumps and dehydrates him. himself to death, or that yeah, that too. Or the other is that he literally just loses his mind to the point that he just sits down and lets the thing take him in the first place. That's kind of that's kind of the it. resigned the yeah. resigned aspect of the ending makes me say he's given into the spell of it and now he's gonna become one with it because. But I don't think you could do that for a movie. You couldn't have mm, that same. You'd have to have some no. kind of conclusion for it. It would have to be. It have to at least imply something. It's the Inception ending, right? Yeah. It's the it's the I'm gonna spin a top that is a literal yeah. MacGuffin in the film, and you are going to watch it like it means something. Yeah. And um, if we just slow zoomed on him as yeah. he looked at it, and then went back to it and just filled the screen with colors and cut to black, yeah. people would be like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, hundred percent. It which is be, which is crazy because I can think of a couple movies that do shit like that. It'd be a good ending. It really would just hit like a side verge, like, it's a like side an, view annihilation. Of, yeah. Colors, colors out of space, like they all kind of have a cosmic kind of uncertainty to the ending. Yeah. I don't. I would still love to see it like faithfully adapted over the course of like a, a short film. Um, to, to the most grotesque of degrees. Yeah. If if they were able to get like a, a special effects genius to come and do it, yeah. I think it could be a really beautiful thing to watch, but also absolutely terrifying. Um, it was, you know, once I realized it was doing the same exact mm-hmm. thing as the movie, I, I was able to sit back and just kind of let it happen. Just yeah. kind of enjoy it. Because... Even though I knew where it was going, literally up until the end, when I saw him kind of resigning into it, I was like, okay, this is kind of... We're just building up to a moot, a moot point, essentially. Yeah. Knowing that that was the only difference, because even as you were reading, the page count was going down, and I was, be, I was, I was kind of meta about it. I was like, there's no way they're going to do a... I'm going to swim for the beach in, in two pages. Because yeah. you're going to draw that shit out. You're going to make that shit 100%. last an entire fucking chapter, yeah. because you're going to... You're gonna make the literal life and death sequence of it last, that's what he does. and that's what the movie does, a hundred percent. And and the beauty of the movie is that it turns into a morality story. That yeah. you know, tell people when you're going out of town, tell people where you're going. You know, be responsible, young adults. You know, don't go past trespassing signs because they're probably there for a reason. You know, the twist of the movie is that it's a um. A quarantined quarry that chemicals get dumped into. In this one, it's more of just this is private property controlled by an open area, and just no one comes around here. You know, we're we're gonna take advantage of a summer home type of area because it's the fall and no one's here anymore. He does. He does such a good job of slowly building up dread. For like, yes. Yeah, like like I love dread. Yeah, so the idea. It, it really is like, and it's it's not it's not just 
over the course of the entire story, but it's for individual moments of dread leading up to somebody's death where, like, he writes about the moments before things start to happen that involve somebody's death. Yeah. It's all the... the, the it's already things. happening. The process yeah. is already it's happening. It's already happening. But, <laughs> but we're from someone else's perspective, so they're just not quite aware of it. Exactly. Yet. So, and it's weird how he writes like that, because most times it just starts as, all right, well, this person is now dying. But it's weird that <laughs> he just... <laughs> But he, it's weird how he describes all the small moments of somebody else's perspective. Some like how he describes Randy looking at Deke dying, and how he sees everything building up to that Deke's already dead. Yeah. But he sees the entire events that are leading up beforehand. Stephen King does a great job of describing. He those. was mid conversation exactly. with Laverne when yeah. when Deke was but he already sees getting it. sucked. Yeah. Yeah, and like, and it's just those little things. It's those little moments. Those little like observations that you're like. Deke just stepped yeah. in that. And oh, fuck. You take it as such a, a big part of the story and he almost puts it off to the side of... There's so much things happening. He sidelines shit. Yeah. The, the, the interesting thing about his, his writing is that he can sideline plot just to kind of get you in the head of someone yeah. a little bit more. And I never realized quite how closely they adapted the dialogue, but some of this dialogue yeah. is literally lifted from... The yeah. short story, like literally, yeah. there were entire sequences that I could have, I could remember the "Hold me, Randy, I'm yeah. cold." Like I just like I have that in my head because yeah. she says that. You know, he he, they have the oil slick conversation. He calls him Poncho yeah. in the short, and as a kid, I didn't really understand that. In in the story, I understand that they're referencing something yeah. now, so it's just like it. So much more background, so much more context, yeah. so much more in the life of, in the space of, in the time of, yeah. because we're in Randy's head. Yeah. And I think that scope, that reference point, is where a lot of the, the greatest stuff comes from. But I still can't help, I still can't help just being disappointed that he doesn't just fucking book it, it at yeah. the end. Because it's just... it. You've seen what's happened. You've seen the literal horror of what's happened. And you've seen how painful it looks. And you've seen how horrifying it is. I guess you would have to be literally hypnotized yeah. to, to think otherwise. Yeah. But I just like... I could be lacking sleep for like four fucking days and still make a sound decision. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fucking tired. Yeah, my body is aching. Yeah, I'm fucking cold. I'm still going to make the decision I'm making, and my body is going to deal with it or not. Well, he loses his mind probably after one full day. Oh. He's, yeah, now he's at that point. I would be Once hungry. he started doing like the Beach Dude, Boy songs. I would be hungry. Like, That's yeah. the only thing I'd yeah. be. You can put me like, outside all night and I'll, I'll get the sniffles. And he's I'll already like hallucinating scenarios, yeah. and he has songs, lyrics playing in his head, and... This kid's the worst. Yeah. This kid's the worst. This kid can't keep it up with the uh, the big dogs. He's like 20 hours into it already. He's like a high schooler. No, as a high schooler, I was doing all-nighters all the fucking time. This kid's a pussy. This kid's the worst. Yeah. I was doing... I was playing entire video games through an entire night as early as junior high. Like, I was spending summers camping with my friends, staying up until fucking dawn. Yep. Smoking weed. <laughs> like, I just, I just, 
this kid's inability to put up with the situation he's in yeah. is probably the most critically damning part of the story. Is is he goes so nuts so quickly, and yeah. I think if if I saw three close to acquaintance level friends yeah. get murdered in front of me, it would make me want to get out of there more. Right away. Yeah. So even if I chugged it in the water and I felt something grabbing at my leg, I'd still fucking try and claw yeah. for the surface to the much of my ability. If it pulls my leg off before I'm able to fucking make it to the ground, I'm still going to fucking crawl yeah. on my, my hands and knees, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's something about something about the literal what's happening in the story disconnects with me. And... Um, it's all for the sake of story. It's all yeah, for the sake of the plot. Is. It's all for the sake of putting yourself in this in this situation and just seeing how these kids handle it. Um, like when you watch because even I could tell you yeah. that kids kids younger than that would yeah. handle the situation differently. You're not. It, it's it, the book is made to look at one character essentially through the entire thing. While a movie will never be like that. I no, mean, you can't. Yeah, you especially with like yeah, you just can't do it like that. You have to show the entire picture and stuff like that. But that the entire book is just told through Randy's perspective, essentially. Right. Even right. his view of just what's actually happening compared to what or what's happening in his mind. This story emasculates happening. him a bunch. Big time. This story makes him seem like a tiny little nerd, little yeah. little little boy. I don't know. I'd still I'd still go for it. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. But I loved fucking reading it. It was fun. That was that was really good. Yeah, I. You always got to come back to the king every once in a while. You got to let him do his thing. You got to let him suck his own dick. Like I said, his short, story, he, he his, his short stories that. are different. Like <laughs> his short stories are definitely different. There's not as much. You can you can tell that they're not they're not one they're not as well written as his longer stuff is. But you can tell that he doesn't go back and look at stuff he has written. As much as he would for his longer stuff. Because all his stuff has to lead somewhere. Like, it almost all leads somewhere. Well, the longer stuff, he sits down and he fucking... I'm, I'm sure he... He, he interconnects universes and all kinds of other out. wild stuff. And probably has to sit down and think about, like, how he's going to interconnect. Short story, he's just yeah. getting from point A to point yeah, B. Yeah, 100%. So, you're going to kind of take that up with your guy. You're John, say, it's a super simple story to tell. Yeah. Idea. Teleportation system in the near future execution someone does the literal one thing we told them not to do in this context yeah. articulate to the point yeah open and done case closed so you can tell raft that, like, yeah like you can tell that they're literally stuck on a raft yeah. it's just stuff Monster that he's legit lake. thought of like yeah no like, he sat on a raft one day and he said fuck yeah. what if something was under me right now yeah would I be able to swim back in time? It's all the weird little, yeah, it's all the weird little like kid fears and things like that, all popping out. Oh, he's that's him with him and kids. Mmm. Scotch McGee. How you feeling, bud? Better than I have been. Better than I was when I started. You read, we read, we read together, and um. This was a fun one. Hail to the king. Hail to the king. Always any, to the king. any final words for our audience? Any final words? Final words of wisdom, Scotch McGee. <laughs> no, I have no final words. <laughs> <laughs> I have legit no final. <laughs> I have no final words. 
I cannot think of a single thing to think of. I right always now. like to put my people on the spot like on that. On the hot spot, just like at one point throughout and they the just episode. Randomly mumble stuff. And when they and when they have something to say, it's either poignant or it's not, or much like you just did, they refuse to say anything and they go, "Nope, got nothing." <laughs> nope, got nothing. Land until we stand at the shore.